do to start this morning is I want to do a little exercise here, okay? Uh, because Shore is a church that's very young, we're only about nine years old, a lot of you have come here from different traditions, different denominations, different Christian groups, different religious backgrounds and so on. On the count of three, I want you to yell out the name of the group, denomination, affiliation, whatever, that you came from, okay, before Shore. So if you used to go to a Baptist church before you came here, yell out, Baptist, all right? If you came from a Brethren church or Presbyterian, whatever, yell that out. If this is the first church that you've come to, just yell out, sure, all right? Or if it's been ages since you've been in church, just yell out something random, anything you like, okay? <laughs> if you used to come from a completely different religious tradition, you know, Hinduism, Buddhism, whatever, okay? We want to get a snapshot of the heritages and traditions that are assembled right here in this room, okay? You ready? Here we go. One, two, three. <laughs> Francois, can you stand up, please? <laughs> Could you turn around and repeat what you just said to everybody else? We need to hear this. That was the Apostolic Geloof Sendung from South Africa. That's fantastic. Well, now you need to stay for the second service too, so you can do that again. That was the whole effect. Was you saying that? That's good. So, you know, this is one of the things that I love about Shore is that we're a melting pot of different uh, traditions and, and backgrounds and so on, and we all bring a unique uh, perspective to things. There are times when that becomes a challenge. And one of those times is when we come to discuss issues about which Christians disagree a lot and about which different uh, denominations and Christian groups uh, see things differently. And we arrive at such an issue this morning because we are talking today about baptism. Uh, in this series that we're doing on rediscovering church. This is just one of those topics where Christians for a long time have uh, disagreed and debated and sometimes it's got ugly and sometimes it's been very civil and there are just so many different perspectives. Uh, some of you may have come from church backgrounds where baptism wasn't practiced. It just wasn't done and so you haven't been baptized for that reason. Some of you may have been sprinkled as a baby uh, or had your children uh, sprinkled in, in, a, in an infant baptism ceremony. Some of you may have come from churches where baptism was pounded so heavily, you know, you were told that if you weren't baptized, you weren't going to heaven. And some of you might just be thinking, who really cares? What, what's the big deal with this dunking in the water ceremony anyway? We, we made a video of, of a snapshot of uh, some baptism experiences from shore, and I want to play you uh, that video. These are some, some thoughts and some experiences from some of our people about what baptism is all about. Can we play that video, Mike? longer something that was um, personal and just internal, but it was also something that had become externally a part of my life, um, that my belief in Christ and my following of Him and Him being a part of my life um, was something that I wanted to show to other people, and I felt that baptism was the way to do that. Baptism is um, quite symbolic of dying to yourself and, and your past and your 
uh, sins and being made alive with Christ and acknowledging that publicly. Yeah, well, I guess baptism, it's a lot of things, isn't it? We're, we're told, we're instructed to be baptised, so it's, it's a command, I guess. Um, but also very symbolic, it's dying to ourself, it's being cleansed of our sin. And your blood is there to quench Pour your life into my soul Let the cleansing waters flow I think it was an issue of submission and uh, really an acknowledgement of God's sort of leadership in my life. And I think I needed to, I suppose, humble myself once again and just um, acknowledge that God is, is the leader of my life and to show people that, that I have a commitment to that. When I was reading about Jesus, how he got baptised at the beginning of his ministry, and, uh, and then even at the end of his ministry, he said, uh, he gave us the great commission to go out and to uh, baptise the new believers. And so I thought, yeah, I really want to be obedient to what Jesus has uh, told me to do. About a year prior I'd recommitted my life to the Lord for being away for about seven years and so when my sister had decided to get baptised and also to get her new baby dedicated and I just thought I need to be doing this as well and we'd always dreamed that we'd do it together so um, we had this wonderful event of two or three hundred people at my mum and dad's church and we had a special service just for our baptism. I think for me it was a personal challenge if you like. It would have been very easy for me like a lot of people I'm sure just to keep going and say hey I'm a Christian I don't really need to be baptised but also a little bit of that fear of stepping out in a public place. The focus of attention is on you and you have to say, stick your hand up and say, hey, I'm ready, I want to be a part of this and uh, drawing a line in the sand if you like. When that old man went down in the water, he truly died and uh, the new man came up and uh, ready to follow Jesus for the rest of his life and uh, it's just the best thing that really was the turning point. I was a Christian already, I believe, but that really did seal it for me, a public declaration in front of the whole church and then uh, coming up out of that water, uh, born again to a new life. Um, baptism is one of those things that has been practiced in different ways at different times down through history. Let me read you a quote from uh, the Didache, which is one of the earliest Christian, uh, man like a church manual really, that we have. Uh, comes one of the earliest documents after the New Testament era. Concerning baptism, baptize thus. Having first rehearsed all these things, baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit in running water, but if thou hast no running water, baptize in other water. And if thou canst not in cold, then in warm. 
But if thou hast neither pour water three times on the head in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and before baptism let the baptizer and who him, is, him who is to be baptized fast, and any others who are able. And thou shalt bid him who is to be baptized to fast one or two days before. How many people do you think would get baptized if we had to fast two days prior? I don't think I'd be baptizing anybody because there'd be nothing left of me to baptize <laughs> or to baptize anybody else. So what I'm asking for from you this morning is uh, some grace as we uh, look at this issue together. And it's an issue that can become quite emotional. So what we want to do is take a fresh look at the scriptures. I'm asking you to simply keep an open mind and let's uh, see if we can uncover what the scriptures talk about this issue of baptism. So where I want to start is Romans chapter 6. If you have a Bible, flick over there. Romans chapter 6, this is Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing to uh, the, the church in Rome. And he says this, verse 1, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And the word baptism is used a number of times in that passage. It literally means to immerse, baptizo, to immerse, to plunge, to dip. The implication is that you're dipping someone, you're immersing someone in water. And what you notice, see, Christian baptism, the, the unique thing about baptism is not the fact that someone was dipped in water. There were many different religions in the first century that had different types of immersion practices. There were all kinds of pagan religions, there were all kinds of uh, mystery cults and sects, and even within Judaism itself, different groups that would practice this type of thing, immersion in water. That wasn't really what was unique about Christian baptism. But what is unique, and what you see Paul doing here, is he's beginning to connect the event of baptism, this plunging into the water and bringing up again, with a series of specific events. He's connecting the physical act of baptism to a specific story, a specific narrative. And those of you who have been here for the past few weeks will be very familiar with what that story is. It's the dying and rising of Christ. And Paul is saying that when a person is baptized, what lies underneath that physical act is the story of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Messiah. That's the story on which baptism is built. And so when a person goes through baptism, what they're essentially doing is acting out a story. Not acting in the sense of, of pretending, but acting in the sense of representing, representing certain events, representing the dying and the rising of Christ. They are symbolically enacting. This is what happened when you were baptized. You were symbolically enacting a certain narrative, a certain event or story about Jesus' death and resurrection. Acting out that drama of salvation, the very events that have given new life to you as an individual and to us as a community. Because when a person gets uh, baptized, when a person comes to follow Jesus Christ, what happens within them is this kind of symbolic uh, dying and rising. That's what coming to know Christ is. It's a dying and a rising on the inside. It's us connecting ourselves with Jesus' own death and resurrection. Just as Jesus died on the cross, it's us saying, I am going to die to that old life. I'm going to put away 
you know, Ken on the video talked about that old, that old man, that old self dying a death. And that's what happens when we hand our lives over to Christ. We go through a dying and we associate and identify ourselves with Jesus' own dying. And then we go through a rising process. We are, we are raised to new life. This is the heart of what it is to be a Christian, to be spiritually raised to a new life with Jesus Christ. We enter a new sphere of existence, a sphere governed by the Spirit, where we know Christ personally. We know our Creator God. We experience His forgiveness. We receive His Spirit. We live in freedom from sin. We die and we rise with Jesus Christ. Now, all of that is quite mysterious. All of that is very internal that process that a person goes through. Who can really say what's going on in a person's heart when they become a Christian? And this is why God has given us in His wisdom and in His providence an outward expression of what is going on internally, a sign that enables us to give some sort of visible expression and visible identity to that internal change that's going on in a person's heart. And that's why we can talk about baptism, first of all, as a sign, a sign of a person joining Jesus' story. And in that sense, it's not too dissimilar to other signs that you may see along the way. Let me ask you, when you see uh, this sign, Mike, throw up that next slide. When you see this sign, what do you, what do you think? Yell it out, no cell phones. All right, what about this one? Kiwi Crossing, you got that one, Donovan? Right. Uh, next one. Give what, so you don't even need the words written in there to know because your mind associates certain visual symbols with other realities. And this is what a sign is, isn't it? It's, it's, it's a physical symbol that points toward another reality, that points toward another concept. And that's the essence of baptism. It is a physical act that points toward a much deeper, much more profound, much more significant reality, the reality of dying and rising with Jesus Christ. So when you go down into the water, you are identifying yourself with the dying of Jesus Christ, dying to that old life, dying to sin and allowing Jesus' death to be your death. And as you rise from the water, you are identifying yourself with Jesus' own raising from the dead by the power of God the Father and raising you to new life. So baptism becomes really the perfect object lesson of what is happening in a person's heart when they become a Christian. It's the perfect visual demonstration of that mysterious internal process by which a person dies and is raised again by God through Jesus. Now, a lot of people are happy to leave it right there. We can agree that baptism is a sign and it signifies. We're a, in a sense, when, we, when we're baptized, we are a living symbol, aren't we? We're a living signpost to another reality. But I think that there's more to baptism than that. I think that there is a deeper significance to it. Flick over to 1 Peter. This is really a tough, tough passage, and we don't really have time to do it justice this morning, but it speaks right to the heart of this issue uh, of baptism, and I want to touch on it briefly. 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll start from verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. In that state, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. 
And this water now symbolizes baptism that saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Now, there is a ton of stuff in this text. We just don't have time to deal with it intricately as much as it needs to be. But basically what Peter is doing here is drawing a connection between the water that was involved in the flood, the water that was involved in Noah's flood, and the water of Christian baptism. So on the one hand, when you think about the flood, it wasn't actually the water that saved anyone, was it? It wasn't the water itself that brought about their salvation. It wasn't the water that brought about deliverance. It was God. It was God who saved Noah and who saved Noah's family. But the water was what? It was like a means that God used. It was a tool that God used. It was the vehicle, in a sense, through which God saved Noah and his family. And Peter is saying that's kind of like how it is with baptism. It's not the water that saves you. And this is something we need to be really clear on because at times in Christian history, Christians have gone in this direction of attributing saving power to the water itself and assuming that if you dunk anyone at any time in, in, in the rite of Christian baptism, that person is saved. But the water doesn't have any power in and of itself. It's not holy water. It's not magic water. There's no miraculous transformation that's going to happen just because you get dunked in a pool. But the water is, in a sense, what Peter is telling us, in a sense, the, the means, the context, a tool that God uses to bring about the saving event. And this is how it happened in the first century. See, when a Christian in the first century, or when a person decided to give their life to Christ, they would almost always make the decision to get baptized pretty much on the same day as they made that initial faith declaration. In fact, what seems to have been the case a lot of the time is that people would, would kind of go down into the water. So if you got to the point where you thought you were willing to give your life over to God and hand your life over to Jesus Christ, you would probably find some little skanky old pool, some lake, some river somewhere, and you would get a believer to take you down into the water, and it would be there in the water standing there just before you were baptized, that many of these believers would take that opportunity to, to dedicate themselves wholly to God, to hand themselves over, to go through that spiritual dying and rising process. And then immediately after that, they would be baptized in the water. And really, it was, it was, it was a perfect way of keeping the internal reality and the external uh, sign or, or symbol together so that what was happening on the inside was being represented on the outside pretty much at the same time. And so you would look at that event and you would essentially, in the first century, treat that as a package deal. That a person was saved and they were baptized. They were saved and they were baptized. It just happened together. There was such a close proximity between those things. And that's why I think we can talk about baptism not only as a sign of joining Jesus' story, but also as a seal of our identity in Christ a seal of our identity in Christ. I think a helpful way to think about this is if you um, compare it to the idea of wedding rings in a wedding ceremony. Seven years ago, Anna and I got married. Seven years last month. You can send cards, flowers, feel free. I, I've got the wedding ring here to prove it. And uh, we had a ceremony that day, outdoor ceremony in a garden, and we exchanged vows, and we signed a wedding register, 
and we exchanged rings. We gave and received rings. I was, trying to, I was going to try and get this off for you, but it's not going anywhere this morning. But part of that ceremony was the giving and receiving of wedding rings. Now, in one sense, those rings were signs, right? They symbolized what was going on. You know, the ring, and, uh, the ring is round and it has no end and so is my love and yada, yada, yada. You know the, the line. It was very meaningful at the time, I'm telling you. It was <laughs> profound, profound significance. Uh, but that, that's the symbolic element. And yet, there's more to it than that, isn't there? The ring was also a seal of that, of that covenant that we made with one another. It was a seal of those promises. When we gave and exchanged rings, we were solidifying. We were cementing that commitment to each other in a visible and outward and observable way, signifying those promises that were going on in our hearts. It was kind of the capstone of that commitment. And I think we, 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 can, we can deal with baptism and think about baptism in a, in, a, in a similar way based on what Peter is saying here in 1 Peter, that if the whole process of, of a life being turned toward God, the whole process of what you might call becoming a Christian, conversion, or however you want to describe that, if that is like a wedding ceremony, baptism is kind of like the exchanging of rings. On one hand, it's a sign of what's going on, an outward observable sign, but there is a deeper power to it whereby it becomes a seal of that commitment that you are making to God. And conversely, a seal of that commitment that God is making to you. It kind of cements those promises and that covenant that is made between an individual and God when they come to give their life to Jesus Christ. Now what's happened today in the modern church is that we have separated baptism way, 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 way out from that time when we first become Christians. And so it's very typical today to have a situation where someone becomes a believer and, and goes through the internal process of dying and rising with Christ, making that heart commitment to Him, handing their life over, and then waiting years, sometimes decades, before being baptized. And so you get to the point when you are starting to think about baptism, of wondering, when am I actually going to be ready to do this? Because I was saved back here, so what does it now take in order to feel like I'm ready to, to go through the waters of baptism? I remember this is how it was for me. I was 14 years old, I, I'd made a commitment to follow Christ, but I wasn't really sure at what point I was supposed to now get baptized. Did I need to reach a certain stage of spiritual progress? I think this is how a lot of people think, that, that I need to get to a certain point Sure, I've become a Christian back here, but, but really I need to sort of get serious about it. And then maybe one day I'll be ready to be baptized. Maybe I need to reach a certain point of enlightenment and spiritual understanding or maturity as a Christian before I'm ready to get baptized. And because none of us are quite sure what that point is or when we're ever ready for it, a lot of people end up not being baptized at all. They've made a genuine heart commitment to Jesus Christ, but because baptism is really treated as something that's just purely symbolic, with no real power attached to it at all. It's something that can just wait. It's something that can be just put off until later and later and later. And I think what the Scriptures are calling us back to is to reconnect baptism with that time in our lives and in the lives of others when people are making an initial faith response to the gospel. It should be something that we keep in close proximity to that point when we are going through the internal process of dying and rising with Christ. That's where it belongs. And I'm really encouraged today to see a lot of churches and denominations and Christian movements beginning to have a real renaissance of baptism. 
I think that's great. Christians are generally in the evangelical church starting to recover a higher theology of baptism. It's been something in the church that for a long time has been very marginalized and been very sidelined. And I think part of that is because we've treated it as a mere symbol, when in fact it's not only a symbol, it's not only a sign, but it's also a seal of our identity in Christ. And because it is a seal, and because it is something that belongs around the time that we're making that initial commitment to Jesus Christ, it really is something that in the Scriptures is reserved for people that are old enough and able enough to make that commitment for themselves. And that's why, at sure, we don't have a practice of infant baptism. Now, you may be here and you may have been baptized as a baby. You may have had your own children baptized. And I don't want to take anything away from that this morning. I don't want to devoid that of the significance and meaning that that may have had. But out of faithfulness to the Scriptures, I want to urge you and encourage you today, if you have not yet made this, taken this step of, of Christian baptism, connected with your own conscious decision to follow Jesus Christ for yourself, I want to encourage you to think about taking that step today. Not to cancel out what may have happened as a child or what may have happened in the lives of your children, but to acknowledge that that is, is maybe a different thing to Christian baptism, which takes place at the will of the individual involved as a person comes into the kingdom of heaven and takes that step for themselves. And perhaps that's where you're at this morning, and perhaps that's the next step for you, is to take ownership of that faith and of that baptism process and make it your own. So baptism is a sign, and baptism is a seal of our identity in Christ, but it's also very easy, I think, to individualize the whole thing and to assume that baptism is just something between me and God, and it goes no further than that. And really, baptism at its heart and how we see it portrayed in the New Testament, it's a real community act. And baptism, the third point here is that baptism delivers us into a new community. Through baptism, we are delivered into a new community, a new people group. Flick over to Acts chapter 2, the last scripture we're going to touch on this morning. And we've read this one before in this series on the church. I want to just focus in on, on, on a couple of verses that show this process at work. You remember Peter has preached this sermon about the dying and the rising of Christ, and people have asked, what shall we do to be saved? And Peter says, you need to repent, and you need to get baptized. And again, you see that working as a package deal there. So let's pick up at verse, verse 38. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And then look at this process that happens in verse 40. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So here is a pretty seamless process, really, by which people accept the message, and they're baptized, and they are added to the number of the, the faith community. And this is, this is the pattern uh, through which it often and almost always worked in the book of Acts, except for a few unique circumstances where God moved in and did things a little bit differently. Baptism, in essence, is a community act, because when you get baptized, when you go down into the waters and you immerse yourself in the story of the dying and rising of Christ, you're not only immersing yourselves in, in a story that you own, you're immersing yourselves in the story of a community, a story that is shared by every one of us who are standing around the pool cheering you on. 
It's the story of a people. The dying and rising of Christ is our story together. It's a story that shapes our common life. It's the story on which we are built. Our identity is built. It's the story that binds us together because those of us who are believers have each gone through this process of dying and rising with Christ. And so baptism becomes a type of initiation ceremony in a way into the people of God, an initiation ceremony into the church. Now that's not to say that people who have never been baptized can't be a part of the church. There are many believers who have made a genuine faith commitment who have repented, who have died and risen with Christ and are active members in the church and using their gifts and encouraging the body and being a part of what we're doing. On the other hand, this is why at Shaw we do have a practice of reserving uh, what we call now ministry partnership or membership for people that have gone through this process of baptism. Not because we want to be exclusive, not because we want to be elitist, but because we want to be as faithful as we can to the pattern that we see in the New Testament. So that to be part of the core team, to be a part of the, of the, the real nucleus of the church, we do ask that you've gone through this, this full process, this full pattern of both repenting and being baptized. Because we see the way in the scriptures in which baptism was a ceremony that brought people into the church. And as we look at people that are getting baptized, as we all stood around a few weeks ago and we watched Luke Becker go through the waters of baptism, we can stand there and point to that and say, that's what it's about for us. That's what we're about as a church. You know, those of you who were at Salt the other night, that's the win, right? That's what defines success in a sense for us, being able to see lives being changed being able to see people coming into the kingdom of heaven, handing over their lives to God and saying, I'm not mine anymore. I am yours. Not my will be done, but yours. And baptism is a ceremony that should be a huge day of celebration for the church. It's a ceremony in which we should all be participating in a sense through cheering our brothers and sisters on, through rallying around them and supporting them and loving them and praying for them and welcoming them on board. This is why, see, I don't have a big problem if you want to get baptized in your own spa pool at home. That's okay with me. But I'm still going to ask if you, if you can get a video camera and record the event and we'll show it up here next Sunday, as long as you're wearing togs, because it's a community act, right? It's a, it's a community ceremony. We all want to be a part. We all want to celebrate it. And in the same way as it works with a wedding ceremony, I think when you see a baptism, it kind of draws your mind back to your own baptism, doesn't it, in a way? Doesn't it kind of bring you back to that moment when you got baptized and, and the significance of that for you? And it's a time when we can reaffirm our own commitment to live out that, that confession that we made at baptism, that, that commitment that we once made to dedicate ourselves wholeheartedly to God that we can kind of do a spiritual checkup to see whether we may have drifted a little bit, whether that flame might have dimmed. It's those kind of times I think the Spirit of God really does work and say, hey, how sold out are you? Do you remember when you went through this process? Do you remember when you dedicated your life to me? Where are you at with that now? And are you still as fired up and passionate as this person you see going through that event today? And I think baptism also has a powerful evangelistic effect on outsiders. I really believe that as you... As you stand in a group of people, if, you, if, if you've not yet committed your heart to Jesus Christ, there's something that happens in baptism ceremonies, I'm convinced. I think God really takes those opportunities to knock on the doors of people's heart, to stir people's soul, and just to start penetrating their minds a little bit, and asking them and prodding them, and gently drawing them to Himself, because you just can't argue with baptisms. 
I mean, it's just lives that are being changed. It's testimonies. It's real life. You can poke holes in apologetic arguments, and you can poke holes in, in different proofs for the existence of God and so on. But when you see a person standing there saying, my life is now no longer mine. It's no longer I that live. It's Jesus Christ. And confessing that and going down and, and coming up, dying and rising with Christ, man, it's just indisputable. That change that's happening, that change that's seen, and I'm convinced that it's a powerful time when outsiders can be drawn in and perhaps even brought to that point where they too want to make a similar type of commitment. So baptism really is a community event. It's part of our common life together, and that's why at sure we really desire to be a baptizing church. We do. Not to elevate it beyond what Scripture elevates it, but to honor it in the same way that the Bible does, and to seek to recover a high and solid and biblical view of what baptism is all about. Now, all right, take a breath for a second, okay? Whew. It's been pretty intense this morning. It's been pretty heavy. And I know some of you have come in here and you've had photos of me in your wallet as you came in and you've taken those out now. <laughs> and you have screwed them up and spat on them and trampled them underfoot. Because it, this, it may not have squared with the way in which you have understood uh, baptism before or, or been taught about it or understand it now in your own mind. And that's okay. I want to qualify what I'm saying uh, by, by making this point. You know, some of you may be feeling, because I know there are many Christians who are genuine believers and for whatever reason have not been baptized. And, and you may be asking yourself, does that make me some kind of half-Christian? Does that make me some kind of half-breed who's, who's sort of half one foot in the kingdom, one out? And I want to say definitively no. It does not. And I don't believe for a minute the Scriptures give us any license to draw that type of conclusion. There are many godly believers who have died and risen genuinely with Christ, who have received the Spirit, who have been forgiven, who are active members in the church, who are bearing fruit in their lives. And I, my intention today is not in any way to call into question your salvation, to call into question your relationship with Christ. My intention, as best I can, is to interpret what the Scriptures say about baptism and to seek to draw us back to the pattern that we see laid down in the New Testament. So you may be here this morning and you may never have been baptized for the simple reason that you've never made that initial faith commitment to cross that line, to put a stake in the sand and say, I'm with God and I'm stepping into his kingdom and his way uh, for my life. And my encouragement to you this morning is simply think about taking that next step. Think about bringing your life to the foot of the cross. If God is stirring something in you this morning, I want to encourage you, don't leave here today without acting on that. The worst thing you can do is just push those thoughts aside and get on with your life. God uses these opportunities to bring issues of eternal significance to our consciousness. And I want to encourage you to act on that today. And if you say, well, what should I do? I've never even, for the first time, given my life over to God. I would say again, take you back to Peter's words on the day of Pentecost. He said, repent and be baptized. In other words, die and rise with Jesus Christ Disown that old life and ask God to do away with it and to forgive you, and he can because of what Jesus Christ has done for you, and then allow him to raise you to a new sphere of existence. And then the logical next step after that is to go through the waters of baptism. It really should be something that follows on pretty hard on the heels of that initial faith commitment that we make. Now, you may be here this morning and, and, and you're a believer and you're a Christian, but for whatever reason, it's just been a long time and you've never taken the step. You've just never done it. 
And you may have all kinds of arguments rehearsed in your mind as to why you don't need to be baptized. And maybe you just feel like it's been too long. I mean, it may have been decades now since you've been a Christian. So what's really the point? I mean, you get, if you get baptized today, what's the big deal? You're going to wake up tomorrow. Things are going to carry on just as normal. And that may be true. That may be exactly right. And I think John Malloy made this point the best on the video, that really what it comes down to for you is a simple step of obedience. At this point in your Christian walk, nothing uh, observable and spiritual may change. But it's a simple step of saying, this is the command that Jesus has given. He instructed us to go and make disciples and to baptize them. He commanded this as a step of obedience, and I'm going to do it for no other reason than it's a pattern laid down in, in, in Scripture. It's an instruction that God himself has given us through his word, and I want my life to be as faithful as I can to that. And so perhaps today for you, it's not a lot of theological arguments. It's just a simple step of obedience. And maybe for you, it's, it's been, you've come from a tradition where, again, you've been uh, baptized as an infant. Maybe your children have been baptized. And for you this morning, it's simply recognizing that there is another step that needs to be taken here. And if that's the baptism that you've experienced, I want to encourage you again. Think about taking the step of baptism this morning and owning this for yourself and out of the, the faith that God has given you, going through the waters, dying and rising with Jesus Christ. Baptism is a powerful sign in our community of lives being changed. It's a seal of our identity in Christ, and it's the act by which we are delivered into a new community, and it facilitates our new birth into the people of Christ. It's going to become part of our common life together. It's going to become something that we celebrate together, and it's something that should cause each of us to stop and reflect on where am I at with this issue. And even if I have already taken this step, how is that now being outworked in my life? How am I dying and rising with Christ every day? How am I making my baptism real and working it out in faithfulness to God and in love for other people. I think that's God's call on our lives for those of us that have taken that step to continue to appropriate baptism and continue to be faithful to those vows that we once made to God. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you this morning that you've given us this powerful visual reminder of the process by which lives are changed. Lord, I'm conscious that even within this room, there's a lot of different views. There's a lot of different perspectives on issues like this. People are in many different places with it. But Father, I just pray that you would just instill in us a clear biblical picture of the significance that you have given to this act of baptism. Father, help us to see it as a powerful sign, as a powerful seal, and as a powerful mode of delivery into your community. Father, I pray for those this morning that may not have taken that step for whatever reason, and there are many. Lord, I just ask for a gentle stirring in their hearts. And Father, you know this morning if, if what I've said has come across as condemning or, or judgmental or su superior in some way, Father, I just confess that. And Lord, you know that that is not my heart. That is not who I want to be, and that is not the message that I've wanted to bring. And I just ask that this word that you are pressing on our collective consciousness this morning would be one of love and would be just one of gently reminding us of the power that there is in this act and challenging each of us to think about how to make this real and to take that step in our lives. I just ask that you would solidify that in our minds and in our hearts and help us to act on that conviction that you're bringing this morning. In Jesus' name.